So we're back in the book of Ruth um, this morning. And I did want to say one thing um, before we do our reading, which will be in Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 through 18. Um, I want to make a, make, say something that your pastor said after we concluded uh, last time. And I made the comment when we were looking at Ruth um, and the death of uh, her two um, sons and the death of Elimelech, her husband, and I made the comment that without death, uh, Ruth would never get to Boaz. And um, your pastor made the comment that, that in the garden, without the death in the garden, um, I forget exactly how he put it, but, but the fact is, because of what happened in the, in, the, in the fall and in the garden and how God recovered us um, through the whole plan of redemption, we actually have a, a closer relationship to God now than we would have if there had never been sin uh, in the garden. The whole process of reconciliation, I think that's what you said, Chuck. Uh, the whole process of reconciliation and God, God bringing us back to him um, has opened up a door for a richer, deeper relationship with him. And of course, the death that, that really had to happen was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to to reconcile us back to God. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But in Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through verse 18. And of course, uh, the context is is Limelech and Ruth and their two sons, and they had married two daughters, daughters of the land. They're the Moabites. And um, Limelech had died, and the two uh, sons had died. Melon and Kilion, and now Ruth has decided to go back to um, the land of, of, of promise. So verse 6, Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and also and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them, stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, Thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. 
Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So we come to the the point in the story where there is a line of demarcation, there's a boundary, there's, there's a decision that has to be made. And we're going to look at that decision of Orpah, that decision of of uh, Ruth, we're going to look at Naomi's input and involvement with that. But by way of introduction, let me remind you that the book of Ruth is so many things, so many things about the gospel, so many things about the Lord and how the Lord's people and others react to the providence of God. We see the sovereignty of God all throughout this book, not not a, a series of random events that, that these people are plugged into, but we see God ordering steps and his providence overshadowing them. Uh, the story of Ruth, as we said, is, is tragedy, loss, poverty, but also redemption. We will look at the whole idea of the leveret Marriage, the provision in God's law that in fact is something that's going to, uh, God's going to use to rescue Ruth. And the whole process of gleaning and the handfuls of purpose, uh, the two different harvests, there's a barley harvest and a wheat harvest. And, and all these things that are going to go into this little tiny book that are just going to speak volumes about uh, God's wonderful redemption plan. There's a lot of practical lessons too. Um, scripture tells us husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then we see Boaz and how he deals with, with Ruth. We see this, this great practical uh, way that husbands can love their wives and take care of them. That The love that Boaz has for Ruth, which of course pictures Christ in the church. But we can't just dismiss it and leave it in its spiritual context. We also understand by way of instruction that just the tenderness, the care, um, uh, the oversight, the blessing that he is to her is something that's just remarkable. And as husbands, we should should emulate that. And of course, the gospel, as we see Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, just... Since it was been a month, let me just, in a couple of minutes, give a brief review. Uh, we saw that this book opened with the time of the judges. The judges were ruling. And that was a very terrible time. Uh, there was idolatry, apostasy, spiritual darkness. Every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was economic problems. There was situational ethics. There was relativism. There was... Uh, just just really, really a bad time that this book occurred into. Secondly, we saw that Elimelech decided to, to escape some of that, and so he would sojourn in the land of 
Moab. Others, Boaz, for example, stayed in Judah. Um, Elimelech decided to take his family and leave. And he goes to Moab, which was not a good place to go. And the Bible very carefully uses the word sojourn. Elimelech thought that he was going to sojourn there, and that's a word that means a temporary trip. But as you know that story, in fact, Elimelech died in that land, and it was permanent, and he left his family in harm's way. Thirdly, we saw Naomi then then warning, and and this whole tragic scene of being by herself um, in this, this foreign country, and not only had her husband died, Elimelech, but the two sons that they brought, Malon and Kilion, after they had married Moabitish women, they also died. And we know God is going to use this. God is going to use this to get Ruth specifically and Naomi also back to the land. And we'll see that, that whole process um, working out. Um, but it's a very tragic, very harsh a scene when, when we just look at it, even just on the surface. Fourthly, we saw God working. God was working through all of this. There's never an, an idle moment with God. There's never things in our life that God um, is not using or will not use to, to sanctify us, to help us grow in grace and knowledge. Um, small things, people in our lives, uh, bad things, negative things, they all go into that spiritual journey that we're on. Fifthly, we saw God blessing. Uh, Naomi hears in Moab, which is 50, 60 miles away, that God had visited his people in giving them bread. And of course, it's not just physical bread that God is beginning to turn uh, Judah back to himself with spiritual bread. And we know as well that God is going to use this physical occurrence of, of the harvest to, to bring in uh, Ruth. And then we saw Naomi determining that she did arise to go with her daughters-in-law to go back to Judah. She was like the prodigal who came to himself and realized there was bread in her father's house, so she would go back there. Um, and in going back, she's going to be admitting the mistake, she's going to be admitting the sin and just getting involved with something that um, she was involved with. So that's just by way of it, uh, a review, or introduction. Um, and we just want to say also that Naomi's entire journey, like our Christian journey, if it's anything at all, it's a spiritual journey. The, the, the decisions that we make have a spiritual impact on us. Uh, what job we're going to work, where we're going to live, who we're going to marry, uh, how we spend our time. Um, Naomi's journey is really a spiritual journey. I always think of Abraham. You remember he was called to go out to a land that he did not know. And I always picture him, you know, out in the desert, the waste hauling desert, not knowing where he's going. And just imagining Abraham having wonderful fellowship with God in the middle of nowhere realizing that God had him there for a purpose and God was going to work. Now, in Naomi's case, of course, she, we would say that she had fallen into sin and God is not the author of sin. But nevertheless, God is going to use her missteps. God uses our missteps, our mistakes, our bad decisions, 
all in the final analysis, God will get glory for it. And the spiritual journey that we're on will, will show that God is, continues to work in our life. For Naomi, the trip from Bethlehem to Moab was a trip of backsliding. Uh, the trip from Moab back to Bethlehem is a journey of repentance. And, and the whole thing is, is spiritually symmetrical. And we see, in God, we see God's people um, under the blessing in the hand of God uh, finally getting to that final day um, where we have been conformed to the image of Christ and we are who we need to be as we enter heaven. Not only was Naomi making a journey, but Orpah was making a journey. And Ruth was making a journey. Naomi is making this journey of repentance. Orpah and Ruth have a journey that's going to lead them to this this point of conversion. Um, It's going to bring them to probably the Jordan River, uh, that point, the dividing line between Moab and and the promised land, Israel on one side, Moab on the other side, God's covenant people, the the temple of of the Lord on one side, the false gods on the other side. And and it's, they've come, Naomi, Ruth, and uh, Oprah have come to this point. Up to this time, they've all said, we're going to return to this land. Naomi has made up her mind. She will return. And these two daughters-in-law say the same thing. They will. But as we read, we know that one makes that right choice and one doesn't. So they've come back to the dividing line, the boundary, the line of demarcation, the valley of vision, this pinch point. And they have to decide in the final analysis, will they go Orpah and Ruth? Well, in the first place this morning, I want to look at Naomi's discouragement. And I don't mean that as an, as, a, as an adjective describing her. She was discouraged. But I'm using it as, as a verb or an adverb. She is discouraging her daughters-in-law to go with her. And it kind of seems strange. I mean, she knows this covenant God. She knows the mistake that she made. She knows that if she leaves her daughters-in-law in in the land of Moab, it will not go well with them. She knows if she can get them into the land of God's people, there's opportunity to be under the blessing of God, to have a relationship with God. And she discourages them from going with her. And it seems totally out of place. Uh, It just seems incongruent to what a believer would say. In verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Again, as we said, Naomi is on this sad, this painful, this, this regrettable, this, this miserable trip, but at least she has a hope that is set before her. Her sorrow will eventually be Um, overtaken with joy and blessedness. For now, she wants to be called Mara. She's bitter. God's hand has gone out against her. She probably understands justifiably so. We know that there will be no rest in Moab. So Naomi, at least, is on the right path and she will get back. 
but she puts up the stop sign for her two daughters-in-law. And I think she understands or she doesn't understand uh, what she is doing. Naomi understands there will be a worse famine in Moab than there would have been in Judah. There's, there's, when we, we think about Naomi, there's actually a lot of good things to say about her. She understands God, but she wasn't perfect, right? She has complaints against God. She, she never left God in the sense that the psalmist who always complained and argued with God never left God. Naomi seems to have retained her allegiance to God's people in the midst of surrounding idolatry. There was 10 years of, of absence and it seems like Naomi maintained some semblance of worship of the true God. She believed him in the midst of adversity. She knows he is a reality. She keeps calling him by his covenant name, Jehovah. Her religion seems to be not just on the surface, it's become part of herself. The spiritual journey is working its way out of her and we have to think there's this flicker of spiritual life where she realizes and and relishes she can go back to Judah, to God's people. And she stops her daughters-in-law from going. And I think there's two reasons why. Of course, again, Naomi's religion, her belief in God is the real deal. It's not counterfeit. And I think we can see something of of believers just in a general statement across the board. We often can be like Naomi, where we make mistakes and then we suffer the consequences of, of those things. We could fall into temptation, into sin. And all the while, God is doing what he must do to get us back. And so I think we have to at least say Naomi's Christianity, Naomi's belief in God, her relationship with God at this point is the real deal. It's authentic. I I sometimes watch the TV show uh, Antiques Roadshow where they look at antiques and... um, they always examine it very carefully to see, is it, is it a counterfeit? Is there a pedigree to it? And sometimes they find out it's a counterfeit or somebody used non-antique, non-original parts to fix it so it degrades it, it's, it's not the real thing. And sometimes adversity and affliction examines our Christianity and lets us know, is, is it real? Is, is it the real deal? Does this withstand God's test? William Carey, that that famous missionary to India, complained often there would be people in England that would want to come to India to see the missionary work. And he said before they doubled the Cape, that is before they went around the Cape to get to India on the sailing vessel, they had already given up. Just, Just the trip to get there was too much. Naomi seems like in the midst of her spiritual trip, she was able to prove that it was the real deal. But notice her discouragement. In verse eight, she says, go back to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you there. The Lord bless you as you go. They say in verse 10, no, we're gonna go with you. 
And Naomi says in verse 11 through verse 13, I can't help you. I cannot provide a husband for you. I am too old. I am unable to do for you what you need, what you want. Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Go back. And then she says, it grieves me that God, the hand of God has gone out against me and by inference that it's affected you. And so Orpah goes back. And then in verse 15, she tries to tell Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back. You need to go back with her. Go back to their people, their gods. And I want to just, two, I think there's two reasons why she discourages her two daughters-in-law. And the first one is the fact that she is a backslider. And as a backslider, her thinking is not entirely correct. She's been away from the covenant community, from the brethren. She's been away from true, true worship. She's undergone years of living in a land that's been marked by idolatry. She inadvertently concludes that if they return with her, Orpah's and Ruth's well-being, which she thought was dependent upon her, upon the arm of the man, would, 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 would fail them. She says, I can't help you. She says, I think you need a husband, and I can't provide that for you. She's discouraging them. She is basically confessing her inability to do for them what she believes they need to do. Her thinking is still skewed. It's, it's not on track with God's word of faith. You know that verse that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? The, the verse right above that says that the Lord says, cursed is the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from me. Blessed is the one that trusteth in the Lord. And so the heart is deceitful is in the context of trying to trust in ourself, our works, what we can do to help others and not trusting in the Lord. And Naomi is mistakenly thinking that Orpah's and Ruth's well-being is dependent upon her. Human provision, human works instead of God's sovereign power, God's sovereign grace. And this is much like a backslider who who very often has fallen into this methods mentality, this works mentality. This lukewarmness, this backslidden um, element that's in her life has jaded her thinking. But also I think her discouragement is something that uh, falls along the lines of, of counting the cost. What does it cost to be a believer? And here I think she is saying this kind of along the line of Caiaphas. Remember Caiaphas prophesied, not knowing what he said. He said it was expedient for one man to die than for the whole nation. He didn't know what he was saying. I think Ruth here also is not really understanding what she's saying. But, but the Holy Spirit is reminding us that we have to count the cost. What it means to be a disciple. In the Gospel of Luke 14, we read about counting the cost. And we understand that it's, it's, it's a full-on cost. With Oprah and Ruth at this dividing line, this, this valley of decision, they have to understand that they cannot belong to the Lord 
without a complete separation from Moab. They can't carry the gods of Moab in with them into the promised land. They can't take their, their false religion, their false gods, and, and those cultural and societal things that, that, are, that are wrong in the sight of God, they cannot take them in. They have to choose that day whom they will serve. Paul said it this way, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Naomi was a true believer. She had fallen on hard times. She knew that she had lost her way. She remembered the blessedness, and she had determined to go back, and no cost was too much for her. No cost was too great. And as she's holding up that stop sign, and we would say she's not a very good soul winner, certainly by today's standards, but implied in what she was saying, we understand the value of being in Christ, the value of being with God's people in God's promised land has a cost associated with it. Orpah can go for a while, but she can't go the whole way. Basically, what Naomi is telling Ruth is, if you go with me, I have nothing to give you. There's no health and welfare gospel here. There's no promise of riches. There's no worldly gain to be obtained. No earthly inducements. You can have faith in God, gratitude to God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's it. And be saved from yourself and saved from sins. So she, she portrays, I think, unknowingly this whole idea, this concept. If you're going to come in, you have to leave everything behind. And there'll be a cost, relatively speaking, a cost associated with it. And so, you know, in today's society, Christian world, there's a, this rush, this haste. Make a decision. Make a decision where the scriptures kind of say, well, you need to think about this because there's a cost. It's not as easy as A, B, C. Accept, believe, confess, you're in. There's this dividing line on the spiritual journey. If you will go, this is the spiritual reality. And in essence, that is what Naomi is saying, I believe. So she's a backslider. She's not thinking entirely correct. But also there's this gospel element of you need to count the cost. What about Orpah in the next place? Orpah decides to go back, to abandon Naomi. Even though she cries several times, even though she says, I will go with you several times, she defects back to the land of Moab. She abandons Naomi, she abandons Ruth. She abandons the opportunity to live in the promised land among God's people, the covenant-keeping God. She abandons hope. She turns to go back well. She, she started well. They both said, we will return. They both wept tears. They both had good intentions. But at that very point of choosing, she goes back. I'm reminded of the parable of the soils, the four soils where the seed of God was sown upon the wayside, the rocky soil, among thorns, and good ground. 
That seed that was sown upon the wayside, absolutely no results at all. The rocky soil, and perhaps this is where Orpah was, received the word initially with joy, and for a while they believe, but in the time of temptation or the time of trusting, they fall away. The seed among thorns brings forth fruit, but not to perfection, not to maturity. It brings forth fruit, just not in its completeness. Thorns, cares, the pleasures of this life, and of course the seed on the good ground, like Ruth. Where those soils are particularly for these, we don't know, but the end result is she defected. She followed no more. She went her own way. She went back to Moab. And we would have to say, under the banner of the sovereignty of God, that she never left Moab in her heart, in her mind. There was this, it's interesting to me, this emotional component as we think about Orpah. She seemed to have emotions for the Lord. She was engaged somewhat, but and, and we have to say religion without emotions is cold and lifeless. There are a lot of emotions in our Christian life. We, we love God. There, there is joy in the Holy Ghost. There is, is blessedness. There's, there's godly sorrow. Sorrow's a, an emotion. There's these emotions in our life. Emotions are good, Orpah, but they're not faith. Emotions, godly Christian emotions are good, but emotions are not faith. Talking about Abram again. Abram went out of Ur of the Chaldees, that land of idolatry, similar to Orpah, left his gods, his people, that culture, that society. He did not know where he was going. And the scripture says, by emotions, Abram went out. Is that what it says? Or does it say, by faith, Abraham went out. We walk by faith, not by sight. This emotional outburst that Orpah initially shows has to be taken at face value. Again, we should have emotions for the Lord and for God's people and God's ministry and God's word. But the core of the matter, the seed of the matter, is faith. Abram went out, and, and, and we have to Understand Orpah and Ruth are going out like Abram, not knowing where they were going. I have to imagine that Sarah, with, thinking again of Abraham, Sarah was to asking Abraham, you know, why are you taking me out to go to some place that we don't know where we're going? And Abraham has no answer. He does not know, but he's going out by faith. So for Orpah, has a decision to make. Ruth is going to go into the land by faith. All of what they know about Jehovah God, all of what they know about, about this, this covenant of redemption is whatever Naomi has told them. Orpah started out well. She had tears. Maybe some of those tears were self-pity for her tragic life. Maybe tears because she had that realization that if she crossed that line, she would be leaving the old life behind. Her people, her homeland, everything she knew about her life 
But after that tears, the confession that she would go, she goes back. And as you know, at this point in the book of Ruth and in the rest of the scriptures, we're never going to read about Orpah again. But we find out a lot about Ruth and her blessedness, not just here in this book, but in the New Testament as well. I think the cost was too much for her. And we are admitting it's a hard choice. It's difficult, a difficult choice, humanly speaking. Jesus confronted his apostles with the very same choice. He, he had given some hard sayings. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Uh, there was problems in the synagogues. People were always accosting and accusing Uh, wanting to take the Lord Jesus. It was a very volatile time. And he said, will you too also go away? It's a hard saying. Will you too also go away? And you recall what Peter says. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. What Peter is saying is this is not a choice at all. Under grace, that's what we say. There's no choice. There's only one place, one God. There's only one way. Peter weighed everything in the balances of eternal life. And he said, it's no choice at all. We could say, ask Orpah. Orpah, what does it profit you if you gain all of Moab, but lose your own soul? And again, the rest of the book unfolds blessedness and grace for Ruth. And we don't hear anything more about Orpah. Well, lastly, let me just, by way of overview, I want to talk about Ruth's devotion. We're actually going to look at this next time because there's so much in verse 16 and verse 17 that talk about Ruth's devotion. And this is where we start to see the gospel from this point on in a really full way, just just being played out. In verse 16 and verse 17, as Orpah is going back and as Naomi is trying to stop Ruth, Ruth says in verse 16, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die? And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if aught but death part thee and me. Ultimately, this is a gospel declaration. She's not moving to Bethlehem for bread. She's not relocating for expedience, expediency's sake. If we fast forward into chapter two, Boaz is commending her for everything she does and there's all these virtues and human concepts and characteristics about her. But Boaz concludes it by saying, you have come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. You've come to trust under him. And that's what makes you virtuous to me. And that is why she's going back. There is in these verses seven gospel elements in verse 16 and verse 17. There's this stated devotion. There's seven gospel elements that we're going to look at. 
Um, it's going to echo that covenant in, in Moses uh, that Moses talked about in Exodus chapter 6. It's going to be ta- talking about surrender of all her false belief, talking about her sacrifice, her devotion to God via Naomi's wording and Naomi's life is by God's grace, she is choosing life. She's choosing to obey God's word. And at this line of demarcation, at this boundary, we can, we can almost picture Moses there, where, where Moses in that great uh, a confrontation with the Israelites says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice and that you might cleave. That's the same word that uh, the book of Ruth talks about, uh, a Ruth cleaving to Naomi, that you may cleave unto him because he is thy life and the length of thy days. Choose life. This is, this is what is happening on this point. Again, Naomi has already decided to repent and return to God. And she's going to be blessed after some hard times Grace will once again be poured into her life in just a a manifold way that we can see. And and Ruth, by way of conversion, is now coming in to the gospel. Orpah rejects it and goes her own way. Well, again, next time we'll see in verse 16 and verse 17 these seven gospel elements that are now just going to open the door to how the, the gospel is played out in the rest of the book of Ruth, through the gleaning, through, through, the, through the Leverite marriage, through being included in the Lord's messianic line. Um, it, it's just going to be so, so uh, open up is just, just with a, so, such a fulfilling way that we're going to see that God had set his love upon Ruth and Naomi, but the book is about Ruth. God has set his love upon Ruth from before the foundation of the world. And the spiritual journey that she is on, when she gets to the end of the end of her life, she's going to be able to look back and say, God was there every step of the way. Though I did not understand, so some, sometimes things were hard and difficult for me, God was working to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he did not finish with me until that final day. Well, we'll close our study there again. Last month and this month, we really see it almost as like preparation to now begin this life with with Ruth, who's going to come in to the household of faith in just a wonderful way. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, that we too, as we think about our life, can trace grace. We think about that day when we came to our spiritual that spiritual awareness about the gospel of redemption, about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save that which was lost, which was us, and to understand that uh, all that he did um, and all that he continues to do will glorify himself and be for our good and our benefit. We thank you, Father, for this book, and we pray that um, as we continue our studies um, in the next several months, that you will bless your word to our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.